0: From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, and uh, we'll jump over to the hymn of the month. I walk in danger all the way. And um, I think we did odd verses and even verses. So now we'll do, um, well, let's see. We'll do one, we'll do one, five, and six. How's that sound? One, five, and six. I feel like I was just going to do one through three, but if we ended on three, death pursues me all the way, that would just be kind of sad, so, and this is the last Sunday in August, so we, we want to get, so we'll do, we'll do one, five, and six. One, five, and six.
1: I walk in danger all the way. The thought shall never leave me that Satan who has marked his prey is plotting to deceive me. This foe with hidden snares may seize me unawares If I should fail to watch and pray, I walk in danger all the way. I walk with Jesus all the way, his guidance never fails me. Within his wounds I find a stay when Satan's power assails me. And by his footsteps led. My path I safely tread. No evil leads my soul astray. I walk with Jesus all the way. My walk is heavenward all the way. Await my soul the morrow. When God's good healing shall allay all suffering, sin, and sorrow Then worldly pomp be gone To heaven I now press on For all the world I would not stay My walk is heavenward all the way
0: Y'all are experts at that hymn now. All right, well, i continue with the Catechism Memory Work. What is confession? Confession has two parts. First, that we confess our sins. And second, that we receive absolution, that is, forgiveness from the pastor as from God himself, not doubting, but firmly believing that by it our sins are forgiven before God in heaven. And the Bible Memory Work. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. All right, and let's, uh, let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Luther's morning prayer, I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. Amen. All right. Um, kids can go off to Sunday school. That's you, Marcus. Esther you can go up to Sunday school. You can go up to Sunday school. Uh, okay. um, oh, what was I talking about? The hymn, yeah. The hymn of the month. Where'd it go? Here it is. I walk in danger all the way. Um, the thing I was thinking about when we were singing that last stanza, stanza six, my walk is heavenward all the way. This is a stanza that it compares and contrasts heaven and the world. Right. So in this world, we have uh, suffering, sin and sorrow. And there is worldly pomp that's going to be gone uh, as we press toward heaven. Right. So my walk is as we're walking right through danger and trials and death. um, We're being if you're kind of going through the hymn, we, we we're protected by angels. We're led by Jesus. And then where our goal is heaven. And our goal is ultimately to leave this world, right? So um, especially that last two lines, for all the world I would not stay, my walk is heavenward all the way. Uh, that's similar to the hymn we sang maybe two weeks ago
1: uh,
0: as the, the hymn of the day, I believe. Um, uh, what, how's that go? It's, uh, it's all about the world. Um, shoot, I really like that hymn. What is, what is the world to me? I knew Donna would know. Thank you, Donna. <laughs> what is the world to me? What is the world to me? And that's a great hymn, and this is a great hymn too, uh, to kind of consider what do what what's really valuable in the world. And and in uh, September we're going to talk about stewardship again a little bit. Um, Not a ton, but we are going to do the pledge cards again. And uh, it's a good question to ask, right? Um, The world values silver and gold, right? The world values pomp and fame and glory. But that's not ultimately what Christianity is about, right? Because our glory is not a glory of Uh, This is actually going to be in the sermon a little bit today. Our glory is not a glory of accolades and fame and money and wealth. Our glory is a glory that God has written on our hearts by the spirit of the living God. And that's what's valuable, right? And that makes the question of stewardship that I was just mentioning a little bit easier, right? Because if... The end of my life is not to be as wealthy as possible. It doesn't really matter as much, you know, how much I try and hold on to and how much I give to the church, right? Um, it just it just doesn't matter as much. So that's something to think about. Uh, that's what I was thinking about when we were singing that hymn. And uh, it's a great hymn, so I'm glad you know it now. And we'll try and work it into the schedule a little more often. All right. The catechism memory work, we're moving on to this uh, topic of confession. Confession has two parts. First, that we confess our sins. And second, that we receive absolution. That is forgiveness from the pastor as from God himself, not doubting, but firmly believing that by it our sins are forgiven before God in heaven. And then First 1 John 1, 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, this is very common in the Bible when it talks about forgiveness to talk about the act of confession. Um, we get this here in first John. It's all over in the Psalter, right? If um, that we confess our sins and he hears and is faithful to hear us and forgive us. And uh, the way that Luther says that, I think is right. Confession has two parts. First, that we confess and second, that we receive absolution. Now, this can be a little confusing because Lutherans always talk about how we don't do anything right to earn forgiveness. So what is this that we have to go and do something, right? That we have to go and confess. Well, confession, the the way I want you to think about confession is what we'd call a fruit of repentance. So this whole thing that we're talking about is repentance. But how does someone become repentant or penitent? Um, Penitent is is the the word for someone who is going to confess their sins, right? How does someone get to that point? Well, they have faith, right? That what God says is true. And that's the faith that saves them. And that faith leads them to see what God says about his law and about their life, right? um, And believe in it. And that leads to contrition actually let's uh let's include that second part i just said right so faith in the word and that faith in the word leads to what we'd call contrition which is sorrow over sin that and and not just a i'm sorry i got caught right but a true sorrow over over the fact that we realize we've done God wrong and we've done our neighbor wrong. A true sorrow over sin, that's contrition. And then naturally from that faith in the word that leads to contrition, that bears the fruit of confession, right? That the person, the penitent would go and confess their sin um, to God, to the pastor, however that ends up. Looking, we can talk about that later. But um, so confession is not, in this sense, really a work, right? Because ultimately, it's born out of faith. It's a fruit of something upstream, right? It's a natural consequence. So uh, it's not something that we. Yeah. Yes. Of course, it's something that we are doing, right? But it's not out of like willpower, per se, that. I go and make a confession so that I can be forgiven, right? This is this is how the Roman Catholics think about it. And this is why the Roman Catholics are wrong about confession and absolution is because they see it as a work that needs to be done to earn the forgiveness, right? And then on top of that, then the priest who absolve their sins won't truly absolve them, right? They'll say, okay, I'll absolve you, but you also have to do this, this, and this, right? You have to say this many Hail Marys, you have to... Uh, say this many our fathers all that all right um, but the Lutheran view and the the biblical view is that to receive absolution there will naturally be confession right it, it's kind of it's it's analogous to um, what Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer right forgive um, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us well, And then he says after he gives the lord's prayer in the in the bible he says if you do not forgive anyone their trespasses neither will your father in heaven forgive your trespasses well what is this now there's some sort of obligation to our our forgiveness and the answer is no of course not forgiving other people their sins is a natural consequence of believing in the gospel right If, if God forgives us our sins and we recognize that for what it is, we will naturally forgive other people their sins, right? So it's a fruit of repentance, right? And you can think about what Jesus says, a good tree bears good fruit, a bad tree bears bad fruit, right? People are going to bear fruit no matter what. So true Christians are going to bear the fruit of confession. They're going to bear the fruit of forgiving other people their sins, right? Okay. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, so that's, that's uh, the first part of confession, and we'll, we'll pick that up more next week. All right, we're back into the book of Isaiah, and we want to continue through these key passages in Isaiah. So, so far, we've looked at Isaiah 1 and Isaiah 6. And last week, I got really excited about Isaiah 6, and I ended up looking at the whole chapter. Which is why it's taken us three years to get to the Book of Isaiah, but that's okay. I don't mind. Um, I'm going to list a couple of passages here, so that we can kind of move through them, hopefully a little quicker today. We have 7:10, 7:10 uh, through 14, um, 9. Two through 7 24 we're we're just going to look at just bird's eye view we're not going to 39 again these whole chapters we're just going to look at bird's eye view I'll select certain things as we get there when I was kind of planning this I thought it would be easier that way rather than trying to write out a bunch of individual verses Um, that's where we're going to go Okay, so we're going to try, and if you um, kind of remember our major, our major and minor outline, right, we had the big section breaks in Isaiah, the big one is 1 through 39 and 40 through 66, right, um, but then within that we have 1 through 12, uh, 13 through 35, 36 through 39, And then in this one, we have 40 through 48, 49 through 55, and 56 through 66. So this gets us, if you kind of line this up, we've done 1 and 6, and we're going to also do 7 and 9. And then uh, we get 24, 39, 40, 53, and, and 65, 66. So we're covering every major section in Isaiah. Right. And we can kind of write out what these what these are is. Right. So um, remember, one of the big things in one through 12 is these Messiah promises. And so let's look at uh, seven, seven and nine real quick. OK. So we had uh, it. I, we had Isaiah's call um, and the in the temple last time. And uh, remember, he had that big Messiah prophecy right at the end of six. So the holy seed shall be its stump. Right. So he had prophesied that Isaiah. So God had told Isaiah, go and prophesy to these people of Judah. And remember, it was kind of a surprise because what did he say? He said, keep their hearts dull. Right. Keep them in their sin. Like keep them as part of their hardening and their punishment to the point where they won't repent which is kind of a weird thing for God to say, right? But then he says, um, Isaiah answers and says, Lord, how long? And God says, I'm going to send this judgment, right? When the land's going to be laid desolate, that's the Babylonian captivity. But in verse 13, a 10th will remain, right? There will be a faithful remnant and will return uh, and be for consuming A terebinth tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down, Sow the holy seed, what's the holy seed? Genesis 3.15, the holy seed is Jesus, right? This is the holy seed we've been waiting for, shall be its stump, right? So out of Judah, after the captivity, there will be a kind of a light at the end of the tunnel, right? There will be the Messiah that's on his way, okay? So then right after that whole thing in the temple and God gives Isaiah those instructions um, to basically... Right. Preach judgment. And that's this is our big theme of Isaiah. Right. Judgment and hope. Judgment leading to hope that that judgment will lead to hope. He goes to King Ahaz in chapter seven and he's uh, he's prophesying to, to Ahaz And we're just going to look at uh, verses 10 through 14 here. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And uh, yeah, we'll stop there. So that's verse 14. So of course, that last verse, right, sounds very familiar. Therefore, the Lord will give Himself. You uh, will Him. The Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Right. And what does Emmanuel mean? Anyone remember? Eman- yeah, Emmanuel means God with us, right? So oftentimes in the Old Testament, if you see the the um, letters E L on the end of a name, it it normally has something to do with God, right? So uh, Elohim is the Hebrew word for gods, right? And so when you have L on the wo- end of the word, sometimes it's a word that. The word, the name means something. normally means God, right? So uh, Israel, right, is wrestled with God. Jacob is named Israel, right? That's where we get the word Israel, okay? Um, But this is kind of an interesting prophecy that takes place here, right? Um, That Ahaz is this king and... Um, he does not want to do what Isaiah says for him to do, right? He says, uh, Isaiah says, ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God, right? Ask it either in the depth or the height above. That Isaiah, And I don't think Isaiah is joking there. I think he's saying, you know, ask, ask God. He's giving you a sign, right? So sometimes we, I mean, we are called normally not to put God to the test. But there are times in the scriptures where, Where the prophets tell the kings, for instance, no, ask God, right? Pray to God and ask him for a sign. Um, And and oftentimes, right, throughout the Old Testament, God will give signs to people when they ask, right? This happens like Elijah, for instance. Um, But, or uh, what's the one, is it uh, Gideon, right? When he asks God to... um, when he, he puts a blanket out on the, on the grass and he says, the, I can't remember which way it goes, but the first time he says, um, or I don't know if it's the first or the second. But one of the times he says, don't, when, when, I, when uh, I wake up in the morning, let there be dew on the grass, but not on the blanket. And then he switches it the other time. And God does it both times. Right. The first time wasn't enough. So Gideon uh, asked for both times. But anyhow, so uh, Ahaz is allowed to ask for a sign here, but he doesn't. And he tries to make it sound pious, but really it's unfaithfulness. Right. to If, if the prophet of the Lord comes to you and says, you can do this. Right. You should probably do it. Um, and. The, 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 it does go to show the boldness we should have in prayer, right? That, yes, we're not to put the Lord God to the test, but we can be bold in our prayer to God. And this is how God responds. He says, uh, you're wearying men, but you're going to weary my God also? Fine. Therefore, the you can almost read in between the lines. Fine. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And this is the sign that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and she'll call his name Emmanuel. And it's also kind of a crazy thing that he just jumped like this is such a stark prophecy of Christ. And it's just in the middle of this argument between Ahaz and Isaiah. Um, But that's that's the ultimate prophecy. Right. That's that's where everything in the Old Testament is going to be fulfilled, where everything that's written in Isaiah about Ahaz, everything that's written in the King and Chronicles, it's all leading up to, to Christ, right? And this is why Isaiah is so great is because Isaiah just wants to get there, right? He wants to get to the Messiah prophecy uh, that the virgin shall conceive and, and bear a son and she'll call his name Emmanuel, okay? And uh, there you should know that there is some debate over whether or not that word virgin is virgin or like young maiden which is this super kind of, I, I hate to be so crass, but like dumb, <laughs> modern debate. Uh, because in the ancient world, young maidens, young women were virgins, right? That's that's what young women meant, it meant an unmarried woman. And of course she was a virgin because that was generally the moral of people, right? Um, and especially within the context of Israel, that there was not... Uh, before marriage was virginity, right? That's that's how it worked. Anyway, uh, we, we can but we can leave that alone. But Bible translators have forever translated that as as virgin um, until modern times. So it's it's a new idea. But obviously, if someone's trying to change something like that, their goal is probably to say that Jesus isn't really God, right? And so you should just mark and avoid them and not listen to them. All right. Um, chapter nine, verses two through four. So again, this this holy seed is going to come back, right? Isaiah, especially in these first twelve chapters, keeps coming back to this Messiah, to the Christ, uh, who's coming to this holy seed, and he comes back to this promised son. Uh, and you know this passage well from Christmas time. Isaiah chapter nine, verse two: The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and for the fuel of fire. For unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Okay, so the thing that really, I think, sticks out to me here is the emphasis on government right that he's going to have the government upon his shoulder and he's going to be the prince of peace the counselor right he's going to have um a government and a peace that will not end right so we can ask ourselves what's the goal of earthly government we know this from romans 13 for instance that the goal of earthly government is to preserve peace and punish wickedness, right? to execute justice. And if you think this is why it's important that we go through the prophets and through the kings, if you think about everything that we've learned about the kings of Judah um, throughout the history of Israel, and the, or the history of Judah, I should say, more specifically, what has been the major problems. Partly, they're theological problems. Right? Partly, it's idolatry. But the other major part of it is political. Right? The other major part of the problems with the kings of of Israel is that they politically are not aligned with what God is politically. Right? They... Do not preserve peace or punish wickedness. They allow wickedness, like child sacrifice, for instance, to exist in their land and actually promote it at times. Right? Or they allow uh, the wickedness of whatever other practices these pagan nations are doing around them to come in. And they don't fight for what was rightfully supposed to be theirs. Right? They don't defend justice, and um, or like uh, Pastor Vanderbush talked about when he did Bible study with y'all, uh, they don't uh, take care of the orphan and the widow, right? They don't preserve peace. And we also experience this today in our world, right? So this is um, what we were just talking about in the hymn, the difference between heaven and and the world is that the world is filled with suffering, sin, and sorrow. It's filled with injustices. And those are often political, right, in a sense. Um, you can think about what what Pastor Vanderbush talked about and what uh, some of us went and saw in that movie. The, um, uh, what, what was it called? Of Sound of Freedom. Thank you. Uh, with, uh, yeah, child traf- uh, human trafficking, right? Um, human sex trafficking uh, or, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be, uh, often the problems that that Christians face are, yes, they're theological in nature, but because everything is theological in nature, but they're also political in nature, right? It's a nature of power, like who has, who has the power? And when wicked people have power, that's a problem, right? So, but this is what's, this is. One of the, the blessings of the Messiah coming, what is Jesus called? He's king over heaven and earth, right? He is the uh, prince of peace, and the government will be upon his shoulders, right? That's one aspect of it. That's one aspect of, of Jesus is that, that he is going to have a government, a rule that is perfect, and it's going to last forever. He's going to be on the throne of David. And... What we confess based on the rest of the bible is that he is there now it's just not fully realized yet right he is on the throne of heaven but there is a day coming when he will come back to execute complete justice and to establish the new heavens and the new earth and when this government that will have no end will be fully recognized by everybody right that's what we're waiting for is for that that day to come, that government to come. Okay. Um, The other thing I just want to point out here briefly is that he is called counselor. Um, And I was at a pastor's conference, I think it was last year, and we were talking about the whole topic of... um, Psychology and and counseling and um, there's been a move in the last I don't know let's say 50 years that there's this big distinction between um, you know pastors and uh, counselors right or you know psychologists. Or a psychiatrist. Psych. Psycho babblers. Psychobabblers. Yeah, psycho. Psychos. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> psy- psychiatrist. Yeah. Whatever that is. Something like that. Psychiatrist. Um, is there an I in there?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Psychiatrist. It's a diphthong. Psychiatrist. Okay. Um. And basically, I was actually told in seminary in one class that, oh, if people come in with certain problems, uh, that it's above your pay grade, you need to send them up the, up the food chain to someone that's certified, right, to a certified counselor, or a, a psycholo- someone with a psychologist degree and stuff. And I'm not going to say there's never a time or place for that, Right. Um, I, th- I think there is a, a time and a place um, that people who have, Christian people who have thought about psychology um, might might be of help to someone, right? I, I'm not going to say that they, they never have, but I'm going to make a couple points about this that I think this is kind of a false dichotomy. So one, this, in history, this distinction really didn't exist, right? The, the Christian pastor is the shepherd right or um the germans had a, a great word for this that the christian pastor was the seal sorger, which is to say the soul healer right that the christian pastor's job was to apply the word of god to that person's life circumstance to the person that they're talking to his life circumstance and to heal their soul, right? The word psych in Greek is from the word suke, which means soul, okay? And the Christian view of the person is that we are body and soul, right? Now, that body also does have a brain, right? And... Uh, that's important to recognize, right? And there is a sense in which the mind uh, is part of the, the mind um, is part of that brain, but the mind is also part of the soul, right? Um, part of the view of the Christian human is that body and soul are together, right? We're we're connected. Um, that what what I do bodily affects my soul, right? If I'm slothful bodily, then I'm slothful in soul as well. Right, they they go together, and if my if my body is depressed, my soul is also depressed. Um, or if my if my body is healthy, then then oftentimes that my soul will also be healthy. Right, um, these things go together. So, um, another thing I want to point out is that God's word sorry, this is, I didn't mean to spend this long on this, but, is sufficient, right? This is something that we confess, that God's Word is sufficient for what we need for salvation in this body and life. And so, with all of that in mind, um, I am skeptical of this idea that somehow psychologists have some secret knowledge that I don't have, Um, and that I should never send them to – that I should uh, always just p- move people up the food chain if they come to me for counseling, right? I enjoy it when people come to me for counseling because I can work with the word of God with their soul, right, which is generally helpful for them. Um, the other thing I'll say is that – well, a couple more things. Um, one, uh, the the studies show that the by far the best – Form of psych or the most effective form of psycho psychological therapy is talk therapy, which is literally just um, people talking with a psychologist through their problems, right? It's uh, called CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. That's what most um, psychologists use. That's the predominant method of psychology. Um, with if you're not including any kind of medicine, that talk therapy cognitive behavioral therapy. And and I've talked to psychologists about this. Literally all it is is just giving people someone to talk to. And the reason, one of the reasons that we have such a big mental health problem in our in our country is because people don't have friends. <laughs> they don't have people to talk to. They're lonely. And um, so that's one of the things a pastor can do, right? Is just talk to people, right? And be their friend. Um, you, you don't have to pay someone like, you know, uh, $200 every week to, to just talk about your problems, right? So um, that's one thing. The other thing is with the medicine that psychiatrists and psychologists will sometimes prescribe is, again, I'm not saying there's never a place for it. Sometimes there is, right? And sometimes there are real chemical imbalances in the brain that we can use modern medicine to help with. But um, oftentimes I've seen that when people have mental health problems, they will say something along the lines of um, the medicine that I'm on makes me feel like a zombie, right? So I've, I've heard that probably at least like five or six times throughout my, my pastoral career in the last three years is antidepressants make me feel like a zombie. like I, and if we were talking about confession earlier, right they make me feel like I don't have a conscience right like I I don't know what's right and wrong anymore um which is a very again body and soul are connected right so um if we're putting chemicals in our body that make us make our soul not right that's a dangerous that's also a dangerous thing so anyway um again I'm not saying that there's never a time for counselors psychologists psychiatrists things like that they are um they exist in our world and they are a tool but um oh this is actually connected to isaiah i forgot to say that right um, my point is that God, Jesus is called Counselor, right? Jesus is is called the Wonderful Counselor. Um, and pastors are called seal sorgers, right? So, and and shepherds, right? That's what the word pastor means. So the idea that um, Jesus and Jesus for you in your in your local pastor. Uh, have nothing to say when it comes to counseling, is a kind of silly idea because the Bible uses these exact words to describe who, who Jesus is and what He does. All right. Anyway, that's that's my spiel on that. Go ahead, Chad. I have a.
2: All, if, if you're a Christian, then you understand that all of the problems of man come from sin. Right. And who understands? Sin, the consequences of sin, and the road to repentance and recovery better than the person that is your pastor.
0: Yeah, that is my job, right?
2: You know, and then then the other part of it is, is when you go to a counselor, to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, you're going to a field of science study that was... Um, I don't know. The ground was broken, or, or was highly developed by Carl Jung, Sigmund Freud, and Friedrich Nietzsche. These are all very paganistic men who used psychedelic drugs and and uh, you know developed their craft through this exposure to psychedelic drugs and.
0: Yeah, it's definitely got a very weird history um, as well. And yeah, like I said, it, is, it, it as you're pointing out, it's a very modern thing. So um, it's, it's it's just an interesting topic to me. I mean, um, I'm not again, I'm not here to say that I have all the answers all the time, but I'll definitely help people work through their problems. And um, and it's not a it's not a pride thing. It's not that I don't want to ask for outside help but I'm skeptical of some of the things I've seen come from, from that, right? And I, I, I mean, I did, I, again, I, I do think there is a time and a place. It's not like there isn't some good psychology. And it's a it's a real field of study, right? How does the mind and the brain and the body, how does that all interact? Um, but the, there's another study that also shows, like for instance, that I find very interesting that like uh, 20 minutes a day of intense exercise seems to be as effective as most antidepressants for most people, right? So there are other bodily simple things we can do too um, to help ourselves rather, and, and like I said, having friends, talking to people. Um, so I don't, I don't at all wanna say that um, if people have any kind of mental health issues um, that they shouldn't receive good help, right? They should, but let's start with a, christian approach as much as possible and then if we need to draw on things from the scientific world then that's that's fine too right that's also good so i mean god god gives us the gift of of modern medicine i'm fine with saying that so um anyhow yeah like i said it's just a it's a random uh topic of mine that i i think about but um yeah jesus is called counselor and yeah the The points you made are are valid as well, Chad. All right, so let's move on. Uh, That's Isaiah 9, Uh, chapter 24. So I just picked this chapter because it's a judgment passage. And um, this, so in the Messiah, Messiah passages, these are really the judgment passages in Isaiah 13 through 35. And just picked one in the middle here. But this is uh, the image, the impending judgment on the earth. And this is the image of the city struck down, right? So we can uh, look here. Let's look at verse 7 and on. The new wine fells, the vine languishes, all the merry-hearted sigh. The mirth of the tambourine ceases, the noise of the jubilant ends, the joy of the harp ceases. They shall not drink wine with the song, strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The city of confusion is broken down, every house is shut up so that no one may go in. There's a cry for wine in the streets, all joy is darkened, the mirth of the land is gone. In the city desolation is left and the gate is stricken with destruction. When it shall be thus in the midst of the land among the people, it shall be like the shaking of an olive tree like the gleaning of grapes when the vintage is done. So this is the image of a city that was once jubilant with song and joy. And I also kind of think maybe the image here is that these people were hedonistic. So the word hedonism is a philosophy that basically means like pleasure-seeking, Right, so trying to maximize worldly and bodily pre- pleasure in this life, and this is something that I think a lot about in modern America. Right, that um, it's it's hedonistic, not not necessarily just in its debauchery, but in its want to seek bodily and worldly pleasure constantly, right? That um, I see this in, uh, especially in the campus ministry down there at Old Miss, that the, the thing that the, the Christian students have to deal with is that they're around a bunch of hedonistic people all the time that just want to party, just want to um, maximize their bodily pleasure, let's say in a more neutral way. Um, They they just are there to have as much fun as possible. And it ultimately is very depressing to be around, ironically, right? Um, Because there's no real meaning to it at the end of the day. And it's not what Christ intended for us, right? It's like... um,
2: It brings on regret.
0: Yeah, it's like a kid who like is free to eat an entire batch of cookies by himself. He'll definitely do it, and he'll enjoy it while it's happening, but then he's gonna throw up afterwards, right? It's gonna be miserable. And that's kind of the end of hedonism, is this kind of misery because you're just riding a high for too long, and that's not how life is meant to be, right? We're supposed to get little highs once in a while. That's kind of how life is meant to be, right? Um, where we get this, these, these times of joy, but um, you have to have times of, you have to have times of sadness and times of just norm, norm, normalcy, in order for those times of joy to actually mean anything, right? So anyway, but my point is that here you get this image where um, the people had been partying, right? They, they were drinking wine, they were merry-hearted, they were singing songs, and, and this is how it was in Judah, right? They were kind of hedonistic, they were just seeking the pleasure, right? So they would sacrifice the false gods, they would uh, do whatever they, the kings would do whatever they needed to so that they could have more money, right? Um, it was kind of hedonistic in that sense. And with that hedonism uh, came eventually by the punishment of God, this misery, right? Where, and notice what he says there in verse nine, that the strong drink is now bitter to those who drink it, right? So the people who are just out there to get drunk and have fun, uh, now it is complete misery to them, right? So, uh, and and this is the judgment of God. That the city is laid completely stricken, um, and the city is laid waste, and that's we saw that in, at the end of Isaiah one as well. That there would be this, the and at the end of uh, Isaiah six as well, that there would be this judgment that was coming, that was going to lay Judah completely waste, except for a very small faithful remnant, out of which the Messiah would come. Okay, so uh, that's that's the judgment chapter we'll look at uh next we're going to look at the transition chapter about um hezekiah king hezekiah we had the judgment chapter here and and then we're going to look at the transition to comfort right because we're going from judgment to hope uh from judgment to comfort and 40 is where we make that big transition so um through through what we see with hezekiah so that's where we're going. Uh, we'll try and finish up Isaiah next week. I, I get This is the problem when we get into passages in the Bible, is that I get too excited about the details in the passages. So uh, then we spend a lot of time on <laughs>
1: no.
0: something. So yeah, no, it's good. It's fine. I, I don't mind it at all, really, actually. But um, All right. I think that's all I have for today. Any questions or comments? All right, let's end in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and we pray that you would bless our worship together as we seek to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to the preaching of your word. We pray this through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.